Genesis chapter 20 and verse 1. And Abram journeyed from there to the south and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We're in the midst of a series of messages considering the life of the Old Testament patriarch, Abraham, called in Scripture the father of all who believe. Abraham is given to us in Scripture as an example of what it means to walk by faith, to live by faith, to be a person of faith. And uh, God did this in a real-life setting with a real person, Abraham, who uh, we get to see him then and all of his struggles, uh, all of his victories, all of his failures. And through it all, his faith holds. His faith stands. He was 75 years old when he left the ancient city of Ur now he's almost 125 years. He has waited for God's promise. A promise of a child. A promise of the land. The land that we today know as the land of Israel. Now he's in the home stretch. In chapter 18 we saw as God came to Abraham and told him, you know, in about a year uh, from this time, the time of life, uh, you're going uh, to see Sarah then give birth to a child. So he's in the, uh, in the home stretch now. If the, if the baby wasn't already conceived, it soon would be. And now in chapter 20, we're going to see this last ditch effort by the enemy to, to bring a halt to God's purpose in his life. And really, that doesn't surprise us. Shouldn't surprise us that the enemy would come against him with everything he has just when he's about to experience that incredible, miraculous promise of God. And it's not surprising that he uses an old sin, an old failure, and brings it back up again uh, to try to thwart God's purpose in his life. The writer of the book of Hebrews warned us about it in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. He said, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. The sin that doth so easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance then the race that is set before us. The sin that so easily ensnares us. I'm not going to start uh, naming off all the potential sins that uh, God's people could struggle with. Uh, but we've all got some area where we seem to have a recurring problem. Something triggers it. Something happens. And then, lo and behold, we're right back into something. Maybe we thought it was long gone, but then it's right back again. Something that so easily besets us or ensnares us. Thus we have the message title this morning, There's No Sin Like an Old Sin. And we'll see this play out in three ways this morning. First of all, of course, we'll see the failure of the prophet. And that's right there in, my, in our text where Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech then, the king of Gerar, would send and take Sarah. Uh, this is a difficult time, no doubt, for Abraham. Though all the blessings that had come, yet... He'd also seen that terrible 
incident with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no indication at this point if Abraham had seen Lot or talked to him or knew what had become of him. If there's any meeting between Abraham and Lot, uh, the Bible doesn't tell it. The Bible does tell us that Abraham had interceded for the cities of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. And, and if they had only found ten righteous people, then God would have spared them of that terrible cataclysmic time of judgment. We also see in Genesis 19 and 29 it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Now we already spent the time last week talking about Lot's failure so we're not going to go through that again. But let's just understand that the Bible very plainly says that God brought Lot out as a result of Abraham and his intercession. The Bible really doesn't tell us exactly why Abraham has decided to leave and, and leave the promised land again. That he's doing it without consulting God. But I do know what it's like to fail. To sit out to do something in the Lord's work or, or to sit out to improve something in life or to make some decision or some choice. I know what it's like to call out to God and bombard heaven in our prayers and it just doesn't seem like anything changes. To hold up a situation in life before God again and again and again asking Him to intervene. And yet the situation does not get better. Sometimes it even gets worse. I know what it's like when we invest and we work and we pray and we call to God and, and yet instead of seeing the result maybe that we'd anticipated. It doesn't happen that way at all. We feel like a failure. When Abraham saw the smoke of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah ascending up to heaven, no doubt he must have felt a sense of failure. He had interceded again and again and again. The cities were destroyed. If he knew, we, we don't know, but if he knew about Lot, then he would have at least maybe been able to rejoice in that. But you read through the book of Genesis, you're not going to find Lot mentioned another time after Genesis 19. No indication that there was ever any interaction. No way for Abraham to know unless God would have revealed it to him that he had sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow and, or overthrow and that Lot and his two daughters were saved alive. Living in a cave, but saved alive. I bring that up only this morning for us to notice that sometimes what we think is failure in God's work isn't failure at all. God doesn't always let us see our success, and that's probably a good thing. We'd get the big head. We'd be ready to write a book about it. Man, I'm a, I've got it down. Uh, see if Broadman will give me a deal. You know, Lifeway maybe, not Broadman anymore. Maybe Lifeway will sign me up and let me write a book about how to be a success. God doesn't let us see a lot of our successes. Um, and a lot of the things that we think are failures, maybe that God didn't use it at all, and Maybe God used it in a way we just didn't know about. And that's a good thing to remember. Because failure is very tough on us. It's hard on our faith. The Bible simply tells us that Abraham decided to go to the land of Gerar. 
And when he got there, once again, he's lying about Sarah, telling everybody that she's his sister. Now, Abimelech uh, sees Sarah, 90 years old, and he immediately decides to take her as a part of his harem. Now, this isn't something that kings did with 90-year-old women, and that calls, no offense, that calls many Bible scholars through the years to believe that maybe God was turning the clock back on Sarah's life so that she would be able to conceive and carry and give birth and raise a child to maturity. After all, listen, uh, being pregnant and having babies is not a job for the young at heart, is it? It's a job for the young. And so a lot of people have concluded based on what happens here when he goes into Gerar that maybe God was just working a, a miracle all over Sarah's life. Not only in the conception of the child, but maybe even turning the clock back. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but we can say that here she is, once again being taken by Abimelech, a foreign king, because Abraham had told everybody that she's a sister. Abraham's going to respond to this in verse 11 saying, Well, I did this because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they'll kill me on account of my wife. And so once again, he's walking in fear. He's walking in the flesh. He's not walking in faith. It can happen. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 says this, uh, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, when we are saved, the Bible says we become a new creation in Christ. That's what we call the new man. That is what we are in Christ because we're saved. But then there's the old man, and that was what we were before we knew Jesus Christ. The old man is 100% fleshly does not have the Spirit of God living inside of him to equip him or empower us like we do once we're saved. No, the old man just lives in accordance with the creature comforts. It, it, it goes according to the desires, what the flesh wants. It wants, it moves along, it's dominated by sin, it's dominated by the desires of the flesh. Now the Bible tells us in this passage that that old man is crucified with Christ. And that's how the Bible can tell us that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ because that old man was crucified. But then you'll go on in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12 to say this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So right there in Romans chapter 6, we're told several things. Number one, we're told that the old man was crucified with Jesus Christ. That happened when we got saved. But though the old man is crucified, then the Bible tells us that yet let not sin reign in your body and do not submit your body then as members uh, of unrighteousness to sin, but instead present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. See, old man crucified with Christ, new man raised up with Christ to walk, as Paul said in Romans chapter 6, the newness of life. But the very fact that he tells us not to do that tells us something. Number one, it tells us 
that we can, even though we're believers, we can allow sin to reign in our body. And we can present the members of our body, our life, our mind, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears. We can present the members of our body to sin. It can happen. And the Bible tells us, don't do it. I bring this up for you this morning just to tell you that the old man is sneaky. Crucified with Christ, nailed to the cross though he may be. The old man has a way of coming back. Not that we were saved and then somehow the old man comes back to life and now we're lost again. No, it just means that there's a tendency in all of us to let the flesh loose so that we live in the flesh and we walk in the flesh. And that's exactly what's happening apparently with Abraham because once again he's walking in fear, not in faith. Once again he's not following God, but he's following the flesh. We love God as His people. We long to live for Him. But there's a constant threat from the old man. The flesh loves to convince us that it's the Spirit, that what we're feeling, that what we are desiring, that what we're wanting to do is actually the Spirit of God leading us to do that. But that's not always the case. And so we see Abraham then going back to the same old problem that he had had many, many years before, making decisions without consulting God, going away from the land that God had led him to, lying about his wife. As Yogi Berra was quoted as saying, it's deja vu all over again. It's... uh, There's not only the failure of the prophet, but there's the grace of God. And you'll see it in verse 3. But God came to Abimelech, not to Abraham. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. You know, Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 tells us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, And grace always does. And thank God that when we find ourselves going in the flesh, when the old man resurfaces in our life, when some old sin comes back to haunt us and threaten us, and especially if it's threatening the purposes of God in our life, here comes God's grace moving to the forefront because grace has always been and always will be greater than all of our sin. 
And there are several ways that God's grace is placed on prominent display in this passage. It was God's grace, first of all, that kept Abimelech from consummating his desire for Sarah. Uh, the Bible says that he had not come near her. Uh, he had not touched her. But notice, God didn't give him any credit for that at all. He said, I withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Well, that's a great passage. I could spend a lot of time talking about it because, listen, sinners sin. Abimelech was not a believer at all. And sinners sin. And yet God's grace, here was the Holy Spirit working, even in this unbelieving man, to restrain him uh, from fulfilling his passion. Paul writes of a time when the Holy Spirit's restraining influence is going to be taken out of the world in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. And we can only imagine, I mean, the Holy Spirit is working today. He is restraining evil today in ways that we don't understand. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 tells us that he that now letteth or hinders will let. He that hindereth will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And God is at work all around this planet constantly. And we don't even know the things and the ways that he restrains and works to hold back the spread and the rise and the dominance of evil in this world. If it weren't for that, he'd be carrying the day even more than it already is. But here's a great example that goes back uh, to the Old Testament when God moved to keep Abimelech from touching Sarah. Uh, then God came to Abimelech with a very personal encounter. This is what we call drastic action. <laughs> he came to him personally in a dream. You see, God's purposes and God's promises were at stake. And remember that this was a critical time in Abraham and Sarah's life. If the child, that promised child was not already conceived, it soon would be. And imagine what would happen then if she ended up spending the night with Abimelech. Then the parentage of that child would forever be in question. And so God had to take drastic actions, and he did. And in his grace then, he was protecting his plans and purposes in their life. Isaac was... The seed of Abraham. But he was also the picture of the greater seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ. And then an interesting. In both cases there was the enemy right there. To try to raise an issue. About their parentage. Isn't that interesting? But God intervening. Making sure that everybody knew that he didn't touch her. God in his grace then preserved the ministry of Abraham. Look at it. He said, he is a prophet. He didn't say of Abraham. He used to be a prophet. <laughs> he once was a prophet. No, he was still a prophet. Uh, we might say, well, anybody who'd act like Abraham doesn't deserve to have a ministry, and you'd be right. Uh, the fact is that all of us, including me, have done things and said things that we shouldn't have ever done and said, and if we were honest, we could all admit that there's things that would probably prevent any of us from ever being used of God. But aren't you glad that our God in His grace 
is able to look over those things. We throw away broken things, but God uses them. God was still working in Abraham's life, and he deliberately reinforces his ministry by requiring Abimelech to go to Abraham so that Abraham would pray for him. (laughs) That's probably the last thing that Abimelech wanted. Probably the last thing that Abraham felt like doing. God brought them together. You go to Abraham, he's a prophet. Let him pray for you. So there was Abraham's failure, the prophet's failure. There was the grace of God uh, that was overcoming those failures. And then the chapter also reveals the response of the unbelievers. Abimelech, verse 8, rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? Abraham, what were you thinking? That's what he said. What possible reason did you have for doing this? Abimelech then was quick to point out Abram's sin to all that was around him. He called all the servants, all of his household, made sure that it was published everywhere. Look at what he's done. It's a great warning for all of us here as God's people today. Listen, every failure that we ever have, the world will love to tell the story. It is quick to tell it and tell it everywhere. They might ignore all the good things that we've done, but let a Christian go down in sin. Let us be caught doing something bad, and and that just spreads like wildfire. That's the way the world works. He confronts Abraham with his sin and his failure, saying to him, what were you thinking? Why would you do this? And then notice he sends Abraham away. Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. (laughs) Just as long as it's not in the shadow of my house. Get out. He rebuked Sarah. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother. Oh, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. The entire passage then serves as an illustration of Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, God had promised Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed in him and and that he would bless those who blessed Abraham. But once again, someone who blessed Abraham was being cursed or was threatened with a curse because of Abraham's failure. 
God intends for us as his people to be a blessing to those around us. To be a blessing as we share the gospel and the truth of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Oh, let us not be a people who end up bringing others under the curse of God because of our mistakes, our sins, and our failures. We're not playing tiddlywinks, folks. This isn't Monopoly. We're not sharing Mother Goose rhymes. This is eternity. We stand before eternity-bound people. We're facing an eternity without Christ. It's imperative then that we learn to keep the flesh in its place. Even in this old prophet's life, after all his encounters with God, the flesh was as bad as it ever was. I've told you before, I I keep thinking that the flesh is going to get better, but it just never does. I've been dragging this flesh to church three times a week, four times a week, all these many years. I preach to it. Uh, Listen, y'all think I preach to you? You ought to hear how I preach to myself. My wife walks in on me every now and then. She could give you a testimony. My goodness. We preach to it. We take it to Bible studies. But the flesh... Listen, the flesh to never get better. The flesh is the flesh. It is sneaky, it is deceitful, and it loves, it loves to convince us that what we're feeling, what we're wanting is from the Spirit when all along it's just the flesh. If it could happen to Abraham, it can happen to any one of us, and it does. If we stop walking in faith, folk, we start walking in the flesh. But thank God, the grace of God is still greater than all of our sins. Sometimes God works to protect us from ourselves. And if you think about it this morning, you could maybe think about a time when you thought about doing something and started out to do something and suddenly... You know, that just didn't work out. And you look back maybe on that time. Maybe it was that person that you were dating that you just thought, man, this is the person that God wants me to be with for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, boom, that was gone. And you look back on it now and you say, thank you, God. Maybe it was that place you thought about moving to. Maybe it was that job you thought about getting. All all kinds of things happen from time to time that we think about, man, it would be so great. And yet we serve a God who is able to intervene in those situations. And sometimes He does to protect us from ourselves because the flesh can threaten God's purpose in our life, but He doesn't always fact is we can yield our bodies to sin and our members as instruments of unrighteousness. We can. We can do it. And that just magnifies the need that we have to constantly yield our bodies to Christ and rely on His power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If it could happen to Abraham, it can happen to us. And so Galatians 5 and 16 then tells us, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Folk, this is a daily battle. It's an hourly battle. 
And as much as we might like to convince ourselves this morning, you know, I've had enough experiences with God. I've learned enough about the Bible. I'm far enough along in my spiritual life that the flesh isn't going to trouble me anymore. And the moment that we think that, it comes back with a vengeance. We get close and close to, to, to some great goal, some great objective. We can see it almost within our grasp. This great task that we've always wanted to accomplish. Some, some great goal that we've always wanted to fulfill. And we can see it right there before us. Just like Abraham. I mean, they are almost to the finish line. And this one last ditch effort comes flying into his life out of nowhere. I don't mind telling you this morning... I. I, I, I wish Genesis 20 wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> I really do. And, and I say that uh, knowing full well that the Word of God is perfect and it's there. But I'm going to tell you, this is a tough message for me to preach. Right at the end. I mean, just right down to the time that they're going to get that promised child and God's purpose is going to be fulfilled in their life. Then, boom, out of nowhere comes this old sin and it almost ruins it all but what a great passage then to remind us that God knew what he was doing when he told us let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall our enemy is relentless and he loves to knock us down right at the finish line. So oh, be careful, pilgrims. This is a long journey you're on. We've got a lifetime to live it. Don't let it take you out at the last moment. Let's stand together.